Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Amen. It's good to have you. Good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm Pastor Tim, the executive pastor here. So anything that you need, just holler at me. Good to see Nico back in the house today from uh, all his trips flying over top of Lynchburg and all over the place he goes. So good to have you here. But it's really good. Everybody listen up, listen up. It's important. Your answered prayers have brought Jeremy back in the house today. Jeremy's in the back. Yes, Jeremy and Courtney and Harper Lee are in the back. So I know they appreciate all that you've done to help support them, encourage it. Whoa, Tony. Tony missed a chair. But anyway, so I know they appreciate all that you've done for them. And so uh, he, he's uh, still recovering, so we, I, he'll be ready to give a, a sermon one time soon. Uh, but Jeremy, glad to have you back in the house. So let's give some announcements here. Uh, so the December calendar, trying to get this up here. December 2nd, we have a women's Christmas dinner at the weight room. So let me get back. So this is going to be an, a women's Italian feast. It's a Christmas party, December 2nd at the weight room at 6.30 p.m. So women, on December 2nd at 6.30, you are invited to an Italian feast. So be sure to be there. Uh, I know Angie and Stacy and the ladies will have everything all set up pretty good. So make sure you at that. Uh, also in December, December 3rd, so that's uh, Sunday, December 3rd, church breakfast before church at 9.15. So we'd love to have our breakfasts here. So bring your food that you make at home, your casseroles, your quiches, your eggs and bacon. Bring it bagels and donuts. So we have breakfast so you can have fellowship before church. So let me turn this sideways because I can see it better. There we go. December 10th, we have a mingle and jingle ice skating party. So we rent out La Haye Ice Center every year. Uh, so that is going to be December 10th. So you come. I love it. I don't get on the ice very much because I spend too much time laughing at you guys getting on the ice and, and slipping and falling. No, it's a, it's a lot of fun. We have hot chocolate. We have snacks. A lot of great things going on. But it's a gr another great opportunity for us to get together as a church, to fellowship, to get to know one another, uh, to talk, and to go have fun ice skating. So that's on December 10th. December 17th, Josh and the children's ministry, Josh and Anne Marie, will be having our Chris Christmas Ooh, I almost said Christmas. Christmas. It's children's Christmas program. So our children's Christmas program, and that'll be during the service. So be here. We'd love to watch children uh, play during the uh, uh, Christmas time. So they're going to have that Christmas. <laughs> children's Christmas program on December 17th. Say that 10 times real fast. So December 24th. December 24th is... Meredith is the only one who knows that December 24th is Christmas Eve. December 24th is what? Okay. Most people are still waking up. We've got coffee in the back. It's free coffee. You can help yourself. Get two cups if you want. We've got plenty of it. Uh, but we have our Christmas Eve service, and that's going to be a regular time. That's on a Sunday. So Christmas Eve this year is a Sunday. So we're going to be here at the uh, cafeteria, 10 o'clock, Christmas Eve service. Brad will be bringing the message. So those are the announcements I have, but we got a special announcement from Rick because he's excited about something he gets to do tonight. All right, thank you, Tim. So, uh, youth group tonight is going to be happening um, in the weight room, uh, 6 o'clock, and we decided we're going to do some pizza. So, uh, youth, you're going to have some pizza tonight, but uh, Lord has laid out my heart a little message for you all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you uh, some guidelines to living as a teenager. 
Um, so that's what's going to be on tap tonight. So youth, uh, please plan to come. Uh, bring your friends. Invite some friends, uh, some people uh, that you know that you hang out with um, to come to the youth group tonight. So, yeah, just a little special message, uh, a little guest speaker. Well, well Jeremy's uh, out of commission, uh, a little bit of guest speakers, and I'm going to – I get to, the privilege to, to do that tonight. So, yeah, I'm giving you a personal invitation, so bring your friends with that. So, anyway, with that, let us go ahead and uh, pray, and we'll be ready to go. Worship the Lord. Christ in heaven, Lord, we just love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for coming to this earth and dying on the cross and, and redeeming us. Lord, just send your Holy Spirit upon this place. I pray for today's message. I pray for the music. I pray for the kids' ministry. I pray for the youth ministry tonight. Lord, everything we do is to bring honor and glory to you. So, Lord, I pray that, that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, bless every heart, every family that's here. Uh, draw them close to you. Lord, may we live for you with the urgency, Lord, because you are going to come back soon and be our king. So, Lord, may we live like that now. Uh, thank you for impact. Bless this time, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Let's all stand together as we worship our Lord today. Would you sing with us? Oh, 
day that he saved me. Amen? Are you thankful for that?
deserve the glory. We love you. We thank you for who you are, Father. And we pray as we continue to worship you, Father, that we'll realize how worthy you are of all our praise, of all our voices as we sing to you and praise, Lord, that you are worthy of our lives, worthy of a life that's offered to you in worship. We love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you, Father.
Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to be in your presence today. God, I pray that as we hear your word today, God, that we'll not be hearers only, but we'll be doers of your word, that we'll be changed in your presence today for your glory. Thank you for your powerful name, your worthy name. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? All right. Good. Y'all excited for some Thanksgiving this week? All right. It's awesome. I know it's a lot of our college uh, students are uh, traveling and away, so wish them uh, safe travel and a great time with family as they uh, enjoy that time. And uh, maybe some of uh, the regular people as well are traveling this week, but I'm glad you guys are here. And if you're visiting with us here this Sunday, uh, we like to say every week, welcome. We're glad you're here at Impact worshiping with us. And if you're searching for a church home, a place to get plugged in, a place where you can just settle in and anchor and serve Jesus, we hope the Lord would uh, 
Just keep you right here. And this would be your home each and every week. The Lord would make this your last stop and your last shop. We like to say, if you're church, stopping and shopping. So welcome here this morning to Impact. And uh, of course, like we said, Thanksgiving coming this week. Uh, so a, a lot going on with family and things and, and keeping the forefront of the attitude and the heart of being thankful to what God has given us and what God is doing. Uh, in our lives, even amongst the trials and circumstances that we all face and trust and know that God is at work even behind the scenes. And that's our message for today as well. So be thankful to him. And then uh, also don't forget to uh, set your scales back a few pounds Wednesday night for Thanksgiving <laughs> so uh, we can make room for uh, what's there on our plate. Anyway, all right. So also um, as being such Thanksgiving week, I know uh, some life groups may uh, may be kind of delayed. Our life group, if you're part of the Journey Through John life group uh, with myself, uh, we're off this week because of Thanksgiving. Our host family has company coming in, so we will do the following Wednesday. That'll be whatever that Wednesday is next week, all right, to pick back up and go from there. So uh, also be in prayer over our um, people fighting this fire, this wildfire um, that's going on, and be uh, praying that God would intervene with some rainfall. I believe this coming Tuesday to help um, subside some of that as well. And then uh, last thing I want to announce is that our youth leader, Humpty Dumpty, I mean, Jeremy Lee is back with us today. <laughs> Couldn't resist, brother. Here he is in the back. So make sure y'all welcome him back. He is put back together in healing. So uh, he'll come back stronger than ever. And uh, so uh, welcome him back and his wife and baby Harper. Um, it's glad to have him back with us. And then, of course, youth still on tonight. And I believe uh, Brother Rick Kennedy is speaking. So y'all come uh, hear a word from the Lord there. There's going to be pizza and all kinds of stuff. Uh, so bring friends. Parents, y'all are welcome to stay as well, hang out, and hear the word that uh, God's going to bring as well. So a um, lot going on. So now, Esther. Chapter 6, continuing our sermon series entitled, For Such a Time as This, and we have a tremendous message today. So for those that are missing it, and I hope they're catching up online, praise God for that availability. Um, they don't want to miss this one. And so you're going to probably want to share this because there's a lot of people who need to hear this word today. All right. The title of our message in Esther chapter 6 is, What a Difference a Day Makes. What a Difference a day makes. And the subtitle is The Turning Point, because that's exactly what we're going to see today, is this weight that we talked about last week in chapter 5, that Esther had this first banquet and delayed her request to the king to the next week. There's this 24-hour period right here that we're in. And what we're going to see is God at work. We're going to see the turning point in this whole story, in this situation and circumstance here today. And when you think about the title, what a difference a day makes, we know that that saying proves itself to be true in many areas of our life, right? I mean, you could say that about the weather. The weather one day is cold. The next day it's 80, right? Welcome to Virginia, all right? One day it's cloudy. One day it's, it's not. It's sunny. One day the wind's blowing out of the south. Next day the wind's blowing out of the north. You, you fill in the blanks. A day can make a lot of difference. A day can make a lot of difference in people's moods, Right? And those of you who have wives in here, y'all can testify to that. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. All right? I mean, I'm getting myself in trouble. I better keep going. How about hunting and fishing? Let me change course here real quick. 
those of you who love to hunt or fish, like I love to hunt, and one day you could be in a spot, and man, deer are just bouncing everywhere, running, you go back to the same spot the next day, and you're just watching squirrels. Same spot, same scenario, different day. How about fishing? Many of you like to fish, all right? And you can testify that not every day is the same. You can go to the same spot, the same situation, and it's not the same because it's a different day. My dad had a story years ago, him and his buddy were at his lake fishing, and man, they weren't catching anything, and they run into another boat that was fishing as well, and asked the guys, are y'all doing any good? It's like, nah, we ain't doing any good. But the guys looked at my dad and said, but y'all should have been here yesterday. They were really chewing. A day makes a lot of difference, guys. And even more so spiritually. Can I just say that? A day makes a big difference when God is at work and he's sovereign and he's going behind the scenes and he's creating a turning point in your situation. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're going through, do you trust and know that God's at work? I mean, really, even when you don't feel it, when you don't see it, that's when it's tough to keep going. That's when it's tough to trust God. But do you know that he's at work? And a day makes all the difference. You see, because what happens in the turning point, this is what happens. is when your heart's right before him, and when you're in the center of God's will, and when you've uh, allowed yourself, your will not to be done, but his will to be done, and you've gone to him through prayer and fasting, like we've seen Esther and all these people had done, and, and the Jews in this community, where they had spent three days to fast and pray before they acted. And then even upon going out, Esther last week, through, I believe, prompting by, the, prompting by the Lord said, no, not yet. I can put my request before the king, but the answer's not yet. I'll give it to you tomorrow, king, one more day. Guys, we had that message last week. Sometimes God's timing requires one more day. That's the wait. And it's hard for us to do that, but it makes all the difference because that allows God to go before us, blaze a path, move the immovable, and create the turning point and your story and mine. Let me pray for us real quick before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we're here in awe of you to magnify you, to lift you up. Father, to make much of you. And Lord, to dive into your word so that we can learn more about you, Lord, and how you act and intervene and move in our lives and our circumstances. So Lord, I pray, Father, Lord, that you would use your word today, Lord, to speak, because I know there's people here going through some stuff. Lord, just like I am, and Lord, we need to trust you, Father, that you're at work, that you're at work on the people in our story. You're at work on the circumstances in our story. And Lord, you're in control over the outcome of our story. So, Lord, help us as we dive into this passage today, Lord, to to move our hearts and minds to a deeper level of surrender and trust in you. And, Lord, that we could all leave here different than how we came in. And, Lord, you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have a copy of God's Word with you. I hope you do. Turn with me to Esther chapter 6. And I believe this passage alludes to us the fact that we need to just go ahead and read it in its entire today, uh, entirety right up front. The other 
weeks, we've been kind of breaking it in half. I'm going to read the entire chapter 6 right up front here so we get the, the total feel for this transition, for this turning point that God's going to do right here. So pay attention with me here as we read, and let's read together. That night, the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servants said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought out which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let, his robe, then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew. Mm who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. When Haman told his wife, Suresh, all, and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife, Suresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Boy, you couldn't even make that stuff up, could you? I don't even think Hollywood can make a script that good, but God can. God just turned the tables. Did you see it? Did you hear it? Let's dig this out because this is huge for what we face today. And just a quick recap to bring somebody in, maybe you hadn't been in all the messages, we know that there's this death sentence that's been sent out that all the Jews would be eradicated because of the, the hate that was within Haman's heart toward the Jewish people because he was a Malachite and, and he wanted to see the Jews destroyed and, and he uh, went to King uh, Xerxes 
and asked for this decree to be made that all of these people that aren't obeying the king should be put to death when obviously it was just one and that was Mordecai who wasn't paying him the honor he felt like he deserved. So this decree was out for all the Jews in Persia to be eradicated because of hate. Then we heard the message in chapter 4 that, that Esther was brought in into this, this, uh, this queen position. And that God had just placed her there not just to be queen, but for an opportunity for intervention, to make a stand for God's people. And then we know the call from Mordecai to Esther as a reminder, say, hey, maybe God brought you here for such a time as this. And we had that huge message because we know that we're living in a time where the world's going to the opposite direction of the word of God. And we've said so many times that I believe we're in the fourth quarter. And I believe wholeheartedly, if you have breath in your lungs today, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you are a warrior of the cross, God has you here for such a time as this. The question is, will we make a stand? Will we make a play in the fourth quarter for the Lord? So we had that message through chapter four. Chapter 5, last week, we had this message on waiting because Esther called this first banquet. And the king had favor, gave her favor, was like, hey, ask anything you want. I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom, right? So he was ready to, to whatever she bestowed, whatever she, whatever she said, but she chose to hold off. And we had that message, and you got to go hear that last week if you missed it. You have to, because there's a reason why she waited. And it had everything to do with the prayer and fasting and seeking God before she went in. And guys, we need to do the same. God has to go before us and be in control. So obviously, the timing of God was for one more day. The next second banquet was when she would give her request to the king. That's the banquet that's about to happen in chapter 7, guys, next week. Okay? So right now, chapter 6, we're in this 24-hour period. In between the two banquets is what we're going to see. All right? We know Mordecai has... Uh, uh, torn his clothes and mourning over all this, hate still raging in Haman. His friends and family in the previous chapter have suggested that he put together this 75-foot tall gallows, these big stakes, if you will. And the plan was to impale Mordecai on it in front of everybody in public humiliation and death. All right? He was already sentenced to die with the rest of the Jews, but that wasn't good enough. Because hate was taking his course in that man's heart, in Haman's heart, and he wanted to impale him, get this, in front of everybody. That's huge. Because what's happened, what we just read in that story, is exactly the opposite happened to Mordecai, did it not? Oh, but God, right? It's huge. I'm going to put this verse in front of us, because it's an over-glaring theme in these few chapters we're in here in 5, 6, and 7 especially. And it's Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. I'm going to read it to you out of the ESV. It says, many are the plans in the mind of a man. You ready? But it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people, a lot of evil people in this world that are making evil plans, but it's only the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God is sovereign, and we see that over this situation. So it doesn't matter what Xerxes or Haman have planned or what they've done or what they've decreed, only what God wants to happen will happen. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's all under his sovereignty. The purpose of God trumps, yes, even the kings of the world. 
Boy, that's the message for today, isn't it? So now here, chapter 6, we see nothing short of God's sovereignty. Nothing short of that. Nothing short of God intervening in a story through prayer and fasting and a person who decided to sacrifice and surrender their life for the call of Jesus that God shows up. Can we get a message in that today? What are we facing today where we need to trust God? Not knowing what the outcome is, we go first. God doesn't tell you what the outcome's going to be first before he calls you out. Can we get that? He didn't tell Esther, hey, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. You just go ahead and do it, and I got it all taken care of. He didn't do that. Matter of fact, he's silent, seemingly. His name's not mentioned in this entire book of the Bible. But he's there at work. That's the whole message and theme that we've seen all through this sermon series so far through this book. And can I say something else about chapter 6? Not only is the name God not mentioned, as we've talked about, but we still see him at work. Did you know and you see in this that Esther's not even mentioned in this book? You want to know why? And this proves it. This book is not about Esther. <laughs> yeah, she's a, she's a, a, a a main character, if you will, but the main character is God. You see, this book isn't about Esther. This book is about God and his sovereignty and the message to us for his application in our own lives and things that we face. So we're going to get three points out of this chapter today in this message, and I hope you get them, and I hope you write them down, not just on paper. I hope you write them down on your heart and mind today, because this is going to move you. This is going to change your outlook, your perspective on whatever you're facing and whatever you will face tomorrow. You ready? First one, God is working on the people in your story. Write that down right here. God right now is working on the people in your story. You may not see it, you may not feel it, you may not believe it, but let me tell you, God is at work on the people in your story, including you. God is at work. Verse 1, you want to see how? We just come out of the banquet. Verse 1, chapter 6 says, that night the king could not sleep. What night? The night just after the banquet. God's already worked. There's this 24-hour period set. Tomorrow, the next banquet, I'm going to tell you, God immediately goes to work. He doesn't even wait till daylight, baby. He works at night. Can we get a message right there? God works on people in your story, in their hearts and their minds while they sleep. Or while they don't sleep in this case. <laughs> kept the king up. And I want to make a point here. This probably wasn't Esther's cooking that kept him up, all right? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't say that, but for whatever reason, he was up. I mean, he might have had an upset tummy. I don't know. Maybe Esther put a little something, something in there. I don't know. But he's up. He can't sleep. All right? And there's a reason for that. Because what King Ahasuerus is going to do is what a lot of people do when they can't sleep, and that's try to find something just to kind of lull them to sleep. Turn the TV on. Read a book. That put me to sleep all the time. I'm not a book reader. You know what I'm saying? So he asked for somebody because he's king to come read him this book. So he asked for somebody, get this, to go grab the Chronicles. What is that, you might say? Persian kings kept transcripts, if you will, chronicles of everything that happens. All right? 
Good, bad, or indifferent. This, call, call it the, um, the naughty and nice list. You got Santa Claus coming up, right? And we know that Santa's not real. But you got keeping a list of who's naughty and who's nice. Well, here's the list for the king of who's been naughty and who's been nice. And the things that have happened. Because what would happen so many times is when people were good to the king, the king would be good to them. And if people were not nice to the king, the king would not be nice to them. And this was all written down, guys, okay? So he just sends somebody, I say, hey, man, go grab one of them books and, and, and read me a story about what I've done. Another prideful man, right, about what I've done and, and, and how it's all happened. Just go ahead and read it as I fall asleep, okay? So he reads this, and again, Kings, especially Xerxes, according to a historian of the day, Herodotus, was known for blessing those who had blessed him or done something good for them. There was a story of how King Xerxes had given land to two ship captains who had been successful for him in battle, and they had made great gains for him, so he blessed them with land. There was a story written down from history about how King Xerxes had uh, made a guy governor because he had saved his brother's life. Okay, so when good things happen, the king would do something good for them. So that's important because all this is about to be read and we're going to see something that happened here. All right. What did it say? Guys, come on. It was found written that Mordecai had told of these two eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. They wanted to kill him. But Mordecai called it out. Do you remember that story back from chapter 2? How Mordecai could have um, took vengeance upon himself and said, good, go ahead and kill the guy. He, just, he, he ain't no good anyway. But he didn't. He did not take matters in his own hands, and he trusted God, and he did what was right, and he told the king about it, and instead these two eunuchs were punished and put to death. But then the king says something extremely, extremely important. But what honor was bestowed to Mordecai? You see, let's get this right here. This is a remarkable evidence and proof of the providence of God. That he is totally sovereign over circumstances that where people feel like they're in control and doing their own thing. God is manipulating situations like a puppet on a string. He's using people's hearts, good or bad, all to move things together for his will. He's moving the chess pieces around, if you will, when people don't even know it. God is sovereign especially in situations like this where it involves his promise. Let's get that. Because there's some things that are just, eh, yeah. So some things just kind of play themselves out, and yeah, it is what it is. Man's depravity, man's good heart, whatever. But when you directly come in and you lay out something that involves a promise of God, this being to protect his people, make no mistake, in every situation, God is involved in that story. Because that's his promise and his word, okay? So we're not talking about just a, a neutral situation. I believe there's some neutral things where God just lets things play out like things play out. But when it comes to his word and his promise, God is always directly involved. He is. All right. So we have this situation. King Ahasuerus cannot sleep. And he chose, get this, of, of, of all the nights to be sleepless, it's this one after the banquet. Because something's getting ready to happen the next morning. Do you remember what Mordecai 
said in the last chapter, in chapter 5, after his friends and his wife had talked with him, what was he going to do the next morning? Go ask the king to do what? Hang Mordecai. Do you see why God had to intervene in the middle of the night? Something had to change in this situation, and it sure did. All right? So, of all the books, I want you to get this too. This book of the Chronicles wasn't just one big monster book, all right? Because there was a lot of stuff going on. You're talking the 12th year reign of Xerxes here. 12 years of Chronicles. This wasn't just one book. There was probably a lot of books, scrolls, whatever they were on, whatever you want to call it. And I want you to see the providence of God again. He could have picked any book, could have picked any scroll, could have picked any one, and he picked the one that had Mordecai in it. Inside this book, there was probably a lot of pages, a lot of areas, passages that he could have read, a lot of days of accounts that he could have read to the king before he drifted asleep. But he happened to read this one account of Mordecai stepping in and saving the king's life. Come on, guys. Are you with me? Are you with me that God's at work on the people in your story? Can you see that? Can you get that message today? God is at work. This isn't luck. This isn't chance. This isn't karma. There's no such thing as karma. It's only God, okay? It's only God. And God is at work. And he's bringing the exact situation, the exact page, the exact circumstance on a sleepless night before the king, before an evil man comes in the next morning that hasn't repented and asked to kill a man because of hatred. God's guiding every step along the way. He's working on the people in your story. You want to know why this is such a big deal? Five years had passed since chapter 2 when Mordecai did this. Five years ago. Not only was nothing done for Mordecai, but it should have been long past forgotten. And God brings it to the forefront of the king on a sleepless night before Haman comes in the next morning. That's God. That's God. In fact, I want you to get this. Can we hear this right here? God's at work doing all this, and Mordecai doesn't know anything about it. Or Esther. In fact, the last we heard from Mordecai, he was in such mourning that he ripped his clothes and was in sackcloth. So Mordecai's probably somewhere still destroyed at heart, struggling to trust God. Struggling to find a way, maybe trying to figure out an answer to his situation in his own power and his own strength. Oh, oh man, how are we going to fix this? Can anybody relate besides me? Not knowing that God's at work the whole time and Mordecai doesn't know. You ever been there? You ever been struggling in that waiting period for God? Struggling to trust, struggling to keep your faith, struggling to keep going? But what if you knew that you knew that you knew that God was at work? Would it give you that to keep going? Yeah. Mordecai doesn't even know what's going on, but God's working. God's working. You may not know what's going on in the behind-the-scenes situations in your own life, in your own circumstances, but God's working. 
Because we see here, and we've said it so many times, it's worth mentioning again, Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he steers it wherever he wants it to go. God is doing what God does. He is moving the immovable on behalf of his will and his plan and giving the turning point to this situation and yours if we'll trust him and have our hearts right before him. Haman's on his way to petition the king to hang Mordecai. And had this chain of events not just happened, likely he would have been granted that wish. Do you see it? turning point it's a change of what's about to happen and it's oftentimes isn't it oftentimes how god does it right at the last minute anybody else been there and you'd be like god man you could have done this a while back you could have done this like yesterday you know what i'm saying it would have helped my faith a little bit <laughs> not necessarily because when you wait and you trust God when you don't feel or see or hear and you walk through that and then you see God intervene, that strengthens your faith more than if he would have done it yesterday. Will you get that message today? God's at work on you in your story as well. King asks, what honor have we bestowed? And of course, the eunuch says, nothing, man. We ain't do nothing for that brother. He saved your life, dude. You ain't do nothing for him. Oh, we got to change that, don't we? Yup right now do you see that change of heart right there how god has moved and now it's no coincidence that haman was about to enter the king's court at that moment it's not coincidence it's not luck it's not chance it's god no coincidence that haman was coming in that moment to ask for the execution and was going to be redirected into an honor situation for the man that he so desperately hated with sin. No coincidence that all this had just happened to King Ahasuerus and put before him at that moment. God's working on the people in your story. Can we just do a little rabbit trail chase real quick? Do you pray for the people in your story? Do you pray for God to intervene to work, that their hearts would be open to, to God's truth, that the scales would fall from their eyes and they would see Jesus for who he is? Those of you who are single, do you pray for your future spouse? Do you pray for the people in your story? That would be a great one to pray for. <laughs> to pray that God would intervene in their hearts and lives and strengthen their faith and their walk with him. That God would give them strength to resist the temptation of the world. That they would remain sexually and morally pure and not give in to the temptations of this world. That they would refrain from worldly patterns of sinful lifestyles that would bring baggage into your relationship later in life. Do you pray for them? You should. God works on the people in your story, even when you don't see it, feel it, or know it. God answers prayer for the heart that is humble and right before him. Mm. Verse 5, King asks, who's that out there in the court? <laughs> yeah, that's my boy Haman out there. Bring him on in. I got a plan for him. You see, isn't that beautiful? Because Haman was there, and the first words out of that dude's mouth were going to be like, King, we need to hang Mordecai. But instead, because of the night the king had just had before the Lord, the first words came out of the king's mouth, and he asked Haman a question. Did you see that? 
The Lord shut the mouth of the lion. Come on, come on. The Lord shut the mouth of the lion like Daniel in the lion's den, and, and he slept on that lion and was like, and just petting that brother. God wants to go before you and shut the mouth of the lion. But will you be bold and brave and trust him? God, shut the mouth of the lion. Verse 6, what are the king's words? He asks, is there a, there a good way that we can bestow honor upon somebody the king wants to honor? And so in his arrogant, prideful heart, we get verse 7 through 9 from Haman because this is I love me some me Haman. You know what I'm saying? Everything's about him and there's nobody else the king would love to honor except me. So he's thinking in his heart, how would I like to be praised? Well, let me think. Verse 7 through 9 lays it out. This is how Haman would like to be praised. I think about this. Give me a robe, one of the king's robes that you've wore. Give me one of your horses, man. One that you've rode has got the big old crest on the head. So it's going to be like, man, I'm the man. Like, you know that song? I don't know it, but I hear it on commercials on Tim. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. That's Haman's theme song, right? Okay? That's him. It's I love me some me, Haman. So he wants to be on the king's robe and the king's horse on his robe. And then it says, that's not enough. Bring one of them noble guys from your court, man. Have them dress me up. Put this all stuff on me, man. I don't even want to take the, I don't even want to sweat getting dressed, man. Just, I just want to stand there, dress me up, and then put me on the horse. And then that's not enough. Parade me right down Main Street, right through the palace. So everybody can see me and praise me and shout with a loud voice, this is the man that the king wants to honor. That's what Haman wanted to happen to himself. Which brings us to our next point. Point number two. Not only is God working on the people in your story, God is working on the circumstances in your story. God's working on the circumstances in your story. Because here we go. King's going to flip this around. Here in verse 10, it says, So the king said to Haman, Hurry! <laughs> And I'm sure Haman was like, yeah, all right. Take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai, the Jew. That's in there on purpose, by the way. Do you know that every word in God's word is there for a reason? He could have just said Mordecai. It's Mordecai, the Jew. Just to let you know that God is sovereign and God keeps his promises and they're my people. Not only are you not going to get it, you're going to do it for the brother that you hate so desperately. So Mordecai, verse 11, takes the robes and the horse, and he does that to Mordecai the Jew. Haman had to dress Mordecai. You can't make this stuff up, guys. I mean, come on. Haman had to dress him. And then he had to lead the horse and parade him through town. Guys, what was Haman's original plan? Hang Mordecai on a stake in humiliation in front of everybody. But instead, God intervenes and the brother has to dress the man he so desperately hates and parade him around in honor in front of everybody. 
Do you see how God can so quickly change the circumstances in our story? Do you trust God like that? God moves the immovable. He just totally changed the story. That's the turning point. That's what you prayed for. That's what you fasted for. That's what you wept for. That's what you got down on your knees before a holy God and be like, Lord God, I can't do anything. Only you can. I'm so desperate for you. And in this 24-hour waiting period, I'm sure there's still desperation and prayer and seeking God. And, and they don't even know what they're doing. And they're probably praying, God, where are you? And the whole time God is at work. You ever been there? God flipped the circumstances. I'm sure when Mordecai was called, he'd be like, what? What now? And then he's paraded around in honor. And humble Mordecai's probably like, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> Guys, when you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to seek it. In fact, if you're seeking um, Notoriety, if you're seeking fame, if you're seeking riches, if you're seeking status, if you gotta be the one in charge, if you gotta be the one on stage, if you gotta be, gotta be, gotta be, you're probably the one God's not gonna use. In fact, he's probably gotta humble you first. But if you're not even seeking it, not even looking for it, you're just so desperately seeking God no matter what the cost, God will lift you up. That God arranged all these things so that ultimately the Jews would be protected, that his promise would be fulfilled, but also so that Mordecai and Haman would each receive what they deserved, not what they thought they deserved. That's important. Think of Proverbs 29, 23. It's a good word right here. You ready? A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Believe me, guys, you want to humble yourself. You want to humble yourself before the Lord. Because if you don't, he will humble you. You want to do the work of humbling your heart, getting rid of your pride before God has to. Because he'll do it. I've seen it in my life. And I've seen it in the life of others. What do we have to do to go to another level of surrender and get rid of our pride, get rid of our motives that are of ourself or of the things of this world and just have a pure heart before the Lord to want to seek him and live for him and his will be done in our life? What does that look like for you? Maybe you need to surrender your pride of living your life your way and just totally surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to give up your pride of thinking you can figure out things on your own and you just want to do life under your own understanding. You need to surrender that pride and humble yourself. Maybe you need to give up your pride of justifying your sinfulness, your worldly patterns that you try to make excuses for as to why you can live in and still claim the name of Jesus. There's no greater pride and arrogance than that. And Maybe you need a Break yourself of that and humble yourself before the Lord before he has to. Because make no mistake, God will not be mocked. 
a man will reap what he sows. What kind of seed are you sowing? If you're sowing the things of this world, you're going to reap the destruction of this world. If you're sowing the things of the Spirit, you're going to reap the things of the Spirit. And that's eternal life. And that's victory in Jesus. You see, what pride does is put yourself upon the throne of your life while your Savior's on that cross in sacrifice. But what humility does is put your Savior in the, in the price that he paid for you so that you could have life. What humility does and surrender is put your Savior on the throne of your life, and now you put yourself upon that cross and you crucify yourself daily. That's Galatians 2.20, by the way. As Paul said, for I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Is that you? The life I now live in the flesh, I no longer live for myself, but I live for God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that you? That's it. That's what Jesus said. You want to come after me? You must deny yourself. Take up your cross. Crucify your flesh. Get rid of it. Strike a blow to your body, however you want to put it, that Paul put it. But we got to make sure we get off the sin that's so easily entangled so that we can run the race that Christ set before us. It's time to go to another level of surrender, church. Amen. What does that look like for you? What is God putting his finger on in your life right now? Get it out. Get it out. But, you're, but, but everybody else does it. But Pastor so-and-so said I could do this. But everybody, da, 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 da. Surrender. Stop making excuses for yourself and for worldly patterns and say yes to Jesus and let God go to work in your life. But you can stay on the throne if you want. God will humble you one day. James 4, 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What did it say there first before the devil leaves? Submit to God. That's surrender. Another level of surrender. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Should we make excuses for our sin? No, this is what the Bible says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Be broken over your sin. And repentance is what that means. Let your laughter, your excuses, your joy in the world be turned to mourning. And let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. This isn't legalism, guys. This isn't. We live in a world and in a church age that so desperately wants to figure out how close I can live to the world and still follow Jesus. Your heart's not right with the Lord yet if that's your excuse and how you want to live your life. Because the Spirit of the Lord in you wants to move you away from worldly patterns, away from unrighteousness, and be sanctified through His Spirit. It's all for His glory. It's not legalism. It is the move of God in your life. And I so desperately worry for the hearts of people that want to straddle the line or stand close to the line and say, God, how close can I get without falling off the edge? That's a heart that's still tainted with pride that needs to be set apart.
So verse 12, Haman leaves this scenario mourning. Think of another song that says, so you had a bad day. Yeah, my brother had a bad day. <laughs> Guys, we're still within 24 hours of the first banquet. All this God is moving and happening. And so he goes to, in this morning, goes to the same crew, get this, that in the last chapter had just recommended to him that he put some gallows up and request Mordecai to be hung on it. He goes back to these same people, tells the story of what's happened. And oh my goodness, it's almost like it's, I don't know what happened. Maybe Haman didn't tell him the day before that Mordecai was a Jew. Maybe that just kind of didn't happen. I don't know. But all of a sudden, there's some remembrance on the part of these people to know what God does for his people. You see that? Because what they say is, brother, in front of Mordecai, who you've already begun to lose, loser, if you continue to do this, you're really going to lose. Guys, what's God trying to do right there? Anybody? Call somebody to repentance. Do you see that? How many times has God been trying to get at the heart of Haman in this story the past couple weeks? A lot. Guys, make no mistake. It's, it doesn't pleasure God to punish people. His wrath, yes, he's just and he is a God of wrath but he's a God of grace and mercy. And he gives people that chance first before they send themselves to hell eventually. He gives them and calls them to repentance time and time again. But will you humble yourself before the Lord has to humble you? He's trying to get to Haman. He's used scenarios. He's used a banquet yesterday in front of Esther, who he knows, she knows that she's going to die. And she treats him like part of the family. And ask him to another banquet. Couldn't kill him with kindness. That heart was too bitter. So now he goes with even more bitterness to, to want to kill Mordecai. And the king flips it around and says, nah, man, you're going to honor him. God trying to humble him, trying to break him, trying to get him to repent. Trying, trying, trying. What's God got to do to break through an evil heart? And if that won't enough, God's going to use his family and friends. <laughs> Man, if you keep doing this, you're already losing to the brother. <laughs> you're really going to lose. You know why? Because he's a Jew. That's God's people. What are they recalling? They were recalling many times through the Old Testament where God had said historically that he would defend his people and that he had shown up and proven to do that. In fact, he had, he had said that he would blot out all the Amalekites from under heaven. Haman was an Amalekite. They're trying to tell him, man, you better repent. You better fall under the grace and mercy of God. They remember in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 29, what says, the fear of God fell upon all the nations when they heard that God fought against the enemies of Israel. They knew this. And they're trying to get him to change. But he wouldn't do it. Verse 14, so then there was a knock at the door. Time to go to the second banquet already. You've had your chance to repent, to change. Are you going to do it? And he's drug off to the next banquet where we know next week he'll end up on the gallows that he intended for Mordecai to be on. Because he wouldn't let God change his heart. How about you? Is God calling you to repentance and total surrender? 
and you still have a wall of pride and arrogance and self-righteousness and worldliness that's blocking him out. God's calling people to repentance, to fall under his grace and mercy because that's who he is and that's what he wants for us. Which leads us to the third and final point as we close. I don't even know what time it is. I'm getting too excited up here. We ain't too bad. God's not only in control of the people in your story. God's not only in control of the circumstances in your story. God's in control of the conclusion of your story. God's in control of the conclusion, the outcome. Man, if this book of Esther showed us anything, it's that God manages the affairs of people without them even knowing it. Why don't you think about that? He's sovereign, and he knows what he's doing. And there's no coincidences, surprises, or luck when it comes to God. Esther wasn't just lucky to be queen. Boy, that was lucky you were in that position, Esther, because that sure wouldn't have happened if you weren't there. It's not luck. Boy, that sure was luck, Mordecai, that you heard them eunuchs talking about killing the king, because, man, if you hadn't heard that, they wouldn't have wrote it down, and you know what I'm saying? It wasn't luck. Boy, it sure is a good thing the king had some indigestion from Esther's cooking the day before and stayed up and couldn't go to sleep because if that hadn't happened, boy, it wasn't luck. It wasn't luck. And it's not luck in your situation either. Or get this, it's not bad luck either. God, oftentimes, this is where it gets tough. God oftentimes uses negative circumstances and things in our life the same, and we got to trust him through it, that he's sovereign. You're not unlucky. God somehow, some way is using things that we don't understand in ways that we'll never comprehend and may not know until heaven. But it's Romans 8, 28, and it's all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Not all things are good because you can isolate some circumstances, some things, some health reports, some you name it, and it's not good. <laughs> but God wants to use all things, even though they're bad, for the good of those who love him. Will you trust him and know him like that? Guys, I use so many sports examples, and I used hunting and fishing today, and I'm going to shift gears to music. You ever watched the conductor of an orchestra? And they're up in the front, and they're just, they're doing this and that. But the eyes of the orchestra ain't even really watching him. They're watching the the page that's already been written. So how do they know when to come in and what's going to happen? Because you don't see what the conductor had done for months of training behind the scenes, that he's in control of that entire orchestra. And he's trained them what the right chord is, what the right tweaking of their instrument needs to be what the right timing is to come in, when to stop, when to start, when to fade out. And he's orchestrated and planned all this. So when the moment comes, 
It's this beautiful sound that all makes sense. Guys, God is the conductor of the orchestra. And God is in control of every single thing in your life and in mine. It doesn't mean everything's going to be good. We got to trust him when it's not. We got to trust him when he seems silent, when he doesn't seem like he's there, or that he seems like he doesn't care. He is. And he's using all things for our good, and he's working behind the scenes in ways that we don't know and cannot fathom or understand. And God is going to bring the right instruments in at the right time in your life. Because he's the conductor of the symphony orchestra of your life. Do you know him like that? Is he your conductor? Are you trying to conduct your own symphony? See, because what happens is when all the instruments come in at the right time, in the right tune, and everybody's on the same page, in the right key, and they all blend together, you get a masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, New Living Translation, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You're God's masterpiece. He wants to be the conductor and bring the instruments in in your life at the right time. And you know, you're not going to understand or know it, but if you let God do it, it's going to be a beautiful thing at the outcome because he's in control. But we miss out every time we try to take control of one of the instruments in our own life. I'm going to say that again. We miss out every time you and me, because we all do it, try to take control of some of the instruments in our own life. We miss out on the beautiful masterpiece that God's trying to create and conduct. Because he's orchestrating all of it. God's an unstoppable force. And his plan and his victory will not be reversed. It won't. But do we get that? Because if we don't, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out if we don't wait on God, if we don't go before him in prayer and fasting and seeking him, if we don't choose to, to wait, even when he seems silent, when he seems distant, when he seems like he don't care, if we don't wait and we take matters in our own hands, we're going to mess up the orchestra that God's trying to write in your life. And something's just not going to sound right because we tried to take matters in our own hands or we tried to justify with pride what we want to do and what, how we think we should live and what we should think we should be able to do, say, watch, listen to. When God's trying to make a masterpiece out of you and make you anew in Christ Jesus, you're a new creation. The old's gone. The new has come. Are you walking in newness of life or are you trying to walk in the old life and claim Jesus? God's created you to be a masterpiece. And he wants to take that heart of yours and set it apart. Are you letting him? It's time to go to a new level of surrender today. What does that look like for you? And I promise you, when you let go of the reins and you let God have them, you'll be able to say, oh, what a difference a day makes with Jesus. Because he is orchestrating your turning point. Will you let him have control? Let's bow our head and close our eyes right now. 
I wonder if there's anybody in here, you might say, Brad, I need to take my first step of surrender and give Jesus my heart and my life right now. Because I haven't done that. You might just be honest and say, I believe that Jesus is God, and I believe that he's God's only son. I believe what he did on the cross. And, and I've been to church, and I know and understand all that. But I've never surrendered to his authority, his will, his lordship. I've never made him lord of my life. Because it's not just about calling him lord. It's about him being lord of your life. Can I say that? Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord is going to enter my kingdom. Not everybody who calls themselves a Christian is going. Because many people haven't surrendered their heart and their life to Jesus. Ask the rich young ruler who went to Jesus and went away unsaved because he had a surrender issue. He was a good person. Good person ain't going to get you there. He did great things. Great things ain't going to get you there. He had a lot of money. A lot of money ain't going to get you there. The answer to the question is, what must I do to be saved is what have you done with your heart to Jesus? Will you surrender it all right now to him? Just give it up. Surrender in the Wild West. When they wave the white flag, it means I'm done fighting and I'm done running. Are you done fighting and you done running? Come and surrender right now to Jesus. He wants to give you a new life, the abundant life, a life in the full. As Jesus said, man, when, if you want to save your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, that's surrender, you're going to find it. You're going to find what you're looking for. The world's going to leave you empty. What you're looking for, you're only going to find in Jesus, a life of total surrender. Will you do that right now? If that's you, I'm going to lead you through a prayer that I want you to do business from your heart to God's heart and surrender to him. And there might be a second group of people in here that might say, Brad, there was a time in my life where I had surrendered to Jesus and man, I was on fire for the Lord. He was radically just had a hold of my life. But man, lately and recently in years past, life's happened, man. And man, I, I've been in doubt. I've been running. I've been, I've been resisting. I've drifted away. And today, though, I want to come running back to the cross. I want to come running back to Jesus and surrender. Like the prodigal son, I'm tired of living in the pig slop of the world and trying to do life on my own and figure things out myself, and I'm exhausted and I'm tired, and I want to come running back to Jesus. If that's you today, I want you to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart and rededicate your life to him. Just say, Lord, I'm coming back. that's you to surrender for the first time or to rededicate your life right now before the throne of God just submit to say dear Lord I'm a sinner Lord I've messed up I'm in need of you my savior and Lord I repent of my sin that means I turn around I have a I have a new way of thinking I have a change of mind about what's right, what's wrong, about what I should do, what I shouldn't do. I have a change of mind that's led by your word and by your spirit about how I should live my life and that I want to surrender authority to you now. That's repentance. And Lord, thank you for Jesus, God in the flesh, the spotless lamb, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, that I could be forgiven, that I could be restored and renewed, that I could be made anew to live for Christ and do the great things that he has planned for me. 
And Lord, thank you that he rose from that grave proving that he is God. Yes, Jesus is God and he's Lord and he's not dead and he's alive. And he stands in victory over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I want to claim, and not only claim, I want to live in that victory right now in my life. Lord, I need it. And my commitment to you is from this day forward, every step I take, every breath I make will be for you and your glory alone. Lord, thank you for saving me. Amen. If that's you and you did business with the Lord right there for the first time, total surrender, or you rededicated your life to him to come running back today in total surrender, boldly, unashamed, no one looking around, would you raise your hand and say, Brad, I did business with Jesus right now today and I'm not ashamed. Raise them high. I see them. If, God, if I don't see them, God does. We're going to close our service like we do every single week here at Impact, and I'm going to offer you the opportunity to put motion with your feet to whatever it is God's doing in your heart. What is it? What has he done? Maybe you made a decision for Jesus right now. Whether you've raised your hand or not, I'm going to invite you to come forward and make a stand. There'll be pastors up here. You can tell them about the decision you made, or you can walk right past them and just do business with Jesus. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that the message spoke to you about a circumstance, a situation you're going through, and you're trusting God, and you're waiting, and you want strength from the Lord just to, to, to know that he's at work behind the scenes and the people in your story and the circumstances in your story, and he's in control of the outcome, and you just need to pray over that. I don't know. Maybe you need to pray over a loved one that's lost or bad health report, bad financial situation. Maybe you need to pray about joining the church, whatever it is right now. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing with all our heart. Let's sing with all our voice. And right now, let's come as the Lord moves our heart. Right now, whatever it is, maybe you need to join the church, get plugged in, whatever it is, just come. Just say yes to Jesus. They say this mountain can't be
guys. He is God. He is the way maker, the miracle worker. Can we give him praise? His name is Jesus, and he's the one and only. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he wants to be Lord of your life and your circumstances. Guys, I believe, I believe wholeheartedly it's time for you, it's time for me, it's time for this church to go to a different level of surrender. What does that mean for you? Let's do it. Say yes to Jesus, and let's let God go to work in our life. Hey, grab somebody, bring them to church this week. Do this for me. It's a shame this message fell on a week when it was a holiday. A lot of people travel up people away. Take this and share it so people can at least hear it. I'm going to be honest. It's not the same. You know, you watch a fireplace on TV. Yeah, you see it, but there's something about being present and feeling the warmth, right? So they're not going to be able to miss that, but be a part of that because they weren't here and they couldn't be here, but go share it with them. Make sure people, this message gets out because I believe there's a world that's searching for hope and they desperately need to hear this message that God's at work. Let's go make an impact for Jesus. We'll see you next Sunday.